I've had guys come to me in the past looking for a shidduch and I, and I will show the picture and then he will complain because he can't see enough of her body. And why should he agree to spend time going on a date if she shows up and she's heavier than he would like? I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. The Orthodox world prides itself on its family values, and nowhere is this more apparent than in the Orthodox emphasis on marriage and children. Getting there, however, can sometimes be fraught with all sorts of problems, what has come to be called the Shidduch crisis. According to Anna Sherman, a registered psychotherapist, maternal mental health practitioner, and clinical supervisor, it's not just a problem of getting married— It's a problem of the wrong messages being sent, creating a divorce crisis, even worse than a shidduch crisis. What are the problems with the system in place that so many of us are used to? What are the consequences of the problems built into the shidduch crisis? And what kinds of solutions are available to rectify these problems and help orthodoxy create a healthier way for couples to meet? Anna Sherman lives in Toronto. She works with individuals, couples, and families, and supervises qualifying therapists in their training. She holds a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and is specially trained in cognitive behavior therapy, emotionally focused therapy, the Gottman Method, maternal mental health, family systems theory, mindfulness meditation, and psychodynamic therapy. I was honored to speak with Anna to discuss the problems of the Shidduch system, the consequences of these problems, and how to fix them. Anna Sherman, thank you very much for joining me today on The Orthodox Conundrum. Thank you for having me. So you and I arranged this interview about a week and a half ago in order to discuss the real issues that exist in the way that much of the Orthodox world is using the Shidduch system, which you've been involved in for about 20 years. And by Shidduch system, I mean the way that young Orthodox men and women are set up in order to help them find a spouse. The very next day after you and I arranged the interview, Mishpacha magazine came out with a picture of Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg from Boca Raton on its cover. He had written an article that talked about exactly this topic. So unintentional though it was, you and I are surfing a wave right now. So I suppose that's a good thing. People are talking about that. And with that in mind, I want to open up with a very basic question. What is the nature of the current shidduch system? I hear about resumes, invasive questions, asking rabbis things that should be private and more. Can you outline how it currently works in much of the Orthodox world? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, Rabbi Goldberg basically says it all in the article, actually. Uh, he had very good timing um, with that article that he put out in Mishpacha. Um, So basically what's happening now is there's a lot of hysteria, I would say, in the last few years uh, regarding what we call the Shidduch crisis. Um, but personally, what I'm seeing, and, and I've heard other professionals and other Rabbeim uh, also like voice concern that it's not really the shidduch crisis anymore, it's the divorce crisis because um, yes, it is very hard. Shidduchim have become very difficult now, but um, what I'm seeing now as a therapist is sort of the aftermath of the lack of foresight and poor planning, I would say, and, and skill. Um, and, and Rabbi Goldberg talks a lot about that in, in the article. And I, he's definitely speaking my language. I agree because what it, what it's become now is yes, a lot of hysteria, a lot of focus on resumes, 
pictures, interrogations, you know, like asking a lot of like uh, asking uh, references, interrogating references, um, lots of questions that are, are, are really unnecessary and irrelevant when it comes to choosing a spouse, not only like unnecessary, but actually harmful for both parties, because you put the reference in an uncomfortable position where they're not, they're not really comfortable answering every last little minute detail about this young person and their family and their education and what medications they take and, 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 but also a lot of, a lot of those pieces of information are not necessary when choosing a spouse. And I totally agree with Rabbi Goldberg. What he says in the article is that like, there are many people who struggle with anxiety, who maybe take allergy pills, who maybe have a divorce in their family. And you know what? They actually make excellent spouses. <laughs> They're actually excellent marriage material. And sometimes, most of the time, when you have a hurdle in life, like growing up you know, with a challenge or you know, if there's a challenge in your family or a disabled sibling or whatever it is, a lot of times that can cause you to be a more sensitive person, somebody who actually, you know, works on themselves and takes their their lives and their goals a little bit more seriously. And, and that's the kind of person that takes relationships more seriously and being a spouse more seriously and being a parent to young children and growing children more seriously and chinuch more seriously. So why are we weeding out people who have this little imperfection and this little imperfection, just because that's what's on the resume. And we heard like, oh, he or she has anxiety. No way. He or she had a panic attack. He or she has a disabled sibling. It's in the genes. We're just going to weed them all out. And you're basically like left with like not very many options. You're turning down options that could be amazing opportunities for your child or for you. If, you know, you're the one doing the checking and then just picking apart resumes and not really understanding like the nature of human connection and not really understanding the nature of attraction either because if you're seeing a picture that's you know it's a still picture it's been taken in a certain kind of lighting sometimes it's been retouched a lot of times there's professional makeup being done and you're asking some young person to decide if that's somebody they'd be attracted to well you don't you don't know because you haven't met that person in person and you don't know what kind of energy they give off and what kind of facial expressions they make and what kind of feeling that they give and that's what attraction is but there's a lot of lack of education in this area and this is really in, in my opinion one of the reasons we're having a crisis okay so anna there is a lot to unpack there and there <laughs> i want to ask a few questions yeah i'm sure i want to ask a few questions about that first yeah. of all when you say that these are improper questions I want to play devil's advocate for just a second. Sure. When they're using these questions, are they always using it to weed out? Perhaps. Isn't it possible that someone actually does take medication and at some point, if they're going out seriously, that's a piece of information which has to be revealed. And mm -hmm. this way, simply, they'll know it even if they're not choosing to weed it out. It's a more simple way of putting it forward from the beginning. I realize that people often use it, perhaps almost always use it to weed out, but inherently, is it a bad thing to put that out there at the beginning? Uh, yeah, so there's a lot, of, a lot of pieces to that. So it really depends on the kind of medication or the kind of like health challenge that the person might have. And by the way, like mental health challenges are just as important to be aware of and very often are not spoken about because those are kind of invisible illnesses. But anyways, back to what you were saying, it is important to be honest. I don't necessarily think it's the, re it's the reference's job to share, you know, every last little detail about 
you know, what kind of medication the person has. Now, let, let's say the person has like Crohn's and that's kind of like something, you know, that, that people need. Speaking need. from experience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have Crohn's, I have, I have other digestive issues, all kinds of Jewish issues. <laughs> so, I, I mean, but but see, in, in my opinion, like share it, fine. Have it on the resume, have the references, share it. But like, why is that something to be ashamed of? And why is that a reason not to go out with somebody? And like, a lot of times there's there's a lot of cover up and then there's a lot of lying, a whole lot of lying that goes on in the process where people will sit, tell their references or they just will leave stuff off their resume. Like, don't tell I have anxiety. Don't tell that I have Crohn's. Don't tell that I take such and such medication. And then they're told to not reveal that stuff until after the wedding. Well, that's a real problem after the wedding. But at the same time, not revealing something is different than actively falsifying. I realize the line can be blurry, but sometimes you can just say, well, don't mention that in the resume because the prospective spouse will be turned off before we ever go out. I'll reveal it soon, even if it's something as simple as anxiety, which probably most people have on some level. That's different than lying and saying, oh, there are no health problems when in fact the person has Crohn's disease, for example. Do people actually lie and say things which are not true? Yeah. Yeah. People lie about their age. People lie about their family situations. There's a lot of lying that goes on. And it's unfortunately a common issue. And I've had many people complain about it. And I've had many people come to me looking for a shit and, and lie directly to me because they don't want me telling anybody the truth about them. And I find out. <laughs> well, I mean, is a resume really a cause for lying? Again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I really agree with what you're saying. But if they're going to lie in a resume, they might lie in the date also. So what difference does it make? Okay, so lying is never okay. <laughs> yes, I agree resume with that. Or on the date, like lying is just not acceptable. And it's, it's honestly, it's, it's hurting both parties because it's hurting the person that you're going out with and potentially marrying. But then it's also hurting the person who's lying because if you lie to somebody, you are, you're getting yourself into like a relationship that's based on false pretenses then you're potentially setting yourself up for failure so it's just hurting everybody it's hurting your family who's then gonna have to deal with all the aftermath it's hurting everybody right. yeah i don't necessarily think that like every single tiny piece of information needs to be put on the resume at the same time whatever's not put on the resume needs to definitely be revealed in the dating process not necessarily like on the very first date but like eventually, you know, depending on how serious the relationship is getting. But even little things that are put on the resume or that are, um, you know, there are just little things that are, are, are on the resume or that come out like with references that people are just dismissing the whole idea. To me, the problem with that is like when you just start picking apart too many pieces of information on a written piece of paper or through a third party, through a reference, then people start playing God. What do you mean they start playing God? In what sense? And just deciding like, well, that's not for my son. That's not for my daughter. But you, your, your son or daughter hasn't even met this person. Zelachim, Zelamavit. This one to life and this one to death, so to speak. Yeah, like you might you might have heard, oh, anxiety is bad. And living with a woman who has anxiety, it's, it's just a nightmare. But it's not always a nightmare. So many people that I, I see every day struggle with some form of anxiety. And they're living wonderful, full lives. Many of them are happily married. Many of them are parents wonderful parents, they have beautiful careers, passing up an opportunity because somebody has anxiety and you see that on a piece of paper and it's like, oh, that's not for me or that's not for my son. Well, then maybe you're passing up on a really good opportunity for your son. Because once he meets the girl with anxiety, he might really connect with her and really feel comfortable, feel like he's known her for a million years, feel like she, she understands him, feel like this is somebody he could really spend his life with. But he doesn't know that unless he gives her a chance. 
That's something that Rabbi Goldberg mentioned in his article, saying exactly. same idea that you're using to weed somebody out, implying that your child is perfect. You might have a mistaken conception of your own child's issues. It could be they're weeding you out for the same reason, and the whole thing is a zero-sum yeah. game, effectively. Yeah. And another thing he says, there are many people who are you know, not taking any medications. They're not in therapy. Everything on the resume looks great. Squeaky clean, perfect, you know, clean record. Um, and like, yeah, you know, like perfect, like go out. She's got nothing on the resume. But you know what? In reality, she's like debilitated by her anxiety and her fears and her and her lack of self-worth. And really, it would do her a lot of good to be in some therapy. And maybe she does need medication, but the reason she's not on it is because she doesn't want to ruin her reputation for Shadachim. So instead you marry a girl or you go out with a girl who's like debilitated by her anxiety, but she's not getting help because it looks bad. Yeah. And there's so many cases like that. Oh, I, I know a case where Crohn's isn't my own problem. It's my entire family. So my wife was with yeah. my son at a doctor's office and there was somebody there from a very religious neighborhood in Israel. And she was back at this doctor for Crohn's disease again with her daughter. And the reason that they were there at that point, her daughter had a very serious case because six months earlier or perhaps a year earlier, she had gone to the doctor and he said, you need to go on a certain type of medication. And they were afraid that being on that medication would hurt her shidduch prospects and therefore they didn't go on it. Apparently, as my wife tells it, she said that the Rebbe told her not to go on the medication. And now it's a year later and she's much, much sicker. And now he said, well, if she's that sick now, she can go on the medication. But the whole thing is sort of this crazy situation. This is a case where it's far worse now, but only because she wanted to avoid being on medication. Certainly having serious yeah. debilitating stomach issues is a bigger problem than taking a certain medication in terms of yeah. pursuit and of how prospects. Much Honestly, how much damage has been done to her body in the meantime? That's, of course, without no. saying. You mentioned pictures, which I find fascinating almost for a different reason, because a big issue mm -hmm. is the fact that very often in certain sectors of the Haredi world, women cannot be shown in pictures. And to hear mm -hmm. that yeah. in the Haredi world, often on Shidduch resumes, a picture must be included. In other situations, not showing women's faces can certainly be understood as offensive, whereas on a resume, that's the last place mm -hmm. you want to show it. But they really insist on yeah. having a picture, which is probably not even an honest picture? Yes, actually. So the, this has become, a, there's a big, big hype around this. Actually, um, one of my contacts uh, somebody that I, I speak to often about this, it, she she speaks about it publicly and she writes about it. Um, Avital Goldschmidt, she's a journalist. She, she used to write with the forward. She's amazing. She was once on this podcast too. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I heard her. So she's amazing. She's just amazing. I highly recommend reading all her stuff and listening to all her stuff. Um, and she talks about this, how contradictory it is that like in our faith and in our community, there's there's so much focus on on modesty and sneeze and you know, not looking excessively at women. But then when it comes to Shadassim, it's it's just become an acceptable practice that a picture needs to be provided. And not only that, but I've had guys come to me in the past looking for a Shadach when I was a little bit more involved. Now I'm I backed away from that world for certain reasons. But and I and I will show the picture and then he will complain because he can't see enough of her body and he will not agree Wait, to go this is in the Haredi world? Yeah, I guess you can say, I mean, we're, we're talking about like, this is North America, so it's a little bit different than Israel, but yeah, like the, the Yeshiva world. Person, yeah. Wow. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Black, black hat. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and yeah, he complains that he can't see enough of her body. And why should he agree to spend time going on a date if she shows up and she's heavier than he would like? 
So he, he will only agree to go out with her until I can ask her or her mother for a picture, a full body shot so he can see what kind of figure she has. It, at which point I, I say goodbye and I say, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna work with you anymore because I don't work like that. And I think that's an unacceptable request, but there are many Shad Khanim who would not have a problem with that. Wow. So we're talking about the flaws in the system and the unreasonable expectations. Let's talk about some of the consequences of the system once people actually do get together. So obviously one consequence, as you're implying, is that it just takes a lot longer to actually find somebody you're even willing to go out with. But let's assume that a couple find each other. Now they're going to be husband and wife. You mentioned before a real problem is not the shidduch crisis, but the divorce crisis, which you're saying is a consequence of this. So can you talk a little bit about that and some of the other consequences beyond simply having a hard time finding the right person? Sure. Every family and every every young person is is different. But what I see a lot of is that they're, from a young age, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of pressure that, that starts being put on young people to, to get married by a certain age because of this so-called shit of crisis and, and the hype that like, once, once your daughter comes home from seminary, all the girls are going to be dating and, and starting to get engaged. And like, you don't want your daughter to be left behind, God forbid. And um, all the good guys are going to get snatched up. And, and, and you know, you, you don't want her to, to struggle like that. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, like, it is hard for girls when all their friends are getting engaged and getting married and moving on. And you're not. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's hard. But the reality of it is the pressure does not do anybody any good. It's not healthy to pressure young people into making like a, a, a very quick and rash decision that's going to affect them for the like the rest of their lives and, and you know, raising families like this isn't, isn't something that they should necessarily be pressured into in such a, like a timely manner. First of all, not I mean, not every young person is ready. You know, when they first get back from seminary, not everybody's ready to to go out and get married. A lot of them, you know, just want to spend a little bit more time figuring out their career, figuring out what they want of life, not even knowing what kind what they want in a in a spouse. And then the kind of pressure that that happens is just like, well, you have to find somebody, but we don't want this, we don't want this, we don't want this, we don't want this. And there a lot of the like basic, basic pieces of relationships and marriage and dating haven't really been explained because there's a tremendous lack of education. So the nature of communication, very clueless. Uh, Attraction, what attraction means, what creates attraction, what attraction is all about, very, very clueless in that area. Like, you like the picture, great, go out. And then like, but that doesn't mean that you're attracted and it doesn't mean just because you know, somebody has everything that you want on their resume doesn't mean you'll have anything to talk about once you meet them. But there's a constant question of like, well, I I don't understand, but you thought he's cute in the picture. And and, and you like, you know, and he has a nice family. He's got everything you want. So what's the problem? Why aren't you feeling it? Because that's not how chemistry works. Well, do you think think that that actually leads people to get engaged and married and pressured into getting married when they're not even that interested because they're like, well, on paper, it makes sense. So therefore, even though I feel no connection with this person, I'm going to do it anyway, with obviously the attendant yeah. consequences. Yeah. Really? That actually yeah. happens that someone will go on a date yeah. and say, I don't feel it. And they still get married because it looks good. Yeah. Well, but a lot of times they don't even know what they're supposed to feel. Well, how would you fix that? Especially, you know, I'll say, Anna, part of it is that at least in parts of the yeshivish world, the black cat world, the Haredi world, and also parts of the modern Orthodox world, let's not let's not turn into only one part of Orthodoxy, discussing attraction, connection with members of the opposite sex, even in an educational manner, it's anathema. It's something we just don't do. 
how can we suddenly change the whole culture of orthodoxy that we're going to allow young men and women to talk about something which is just not part of the educational diet right now? Yeah, so I really think that it can be done in a very modest and educational and informative way. And I have friends who are in, you know, working, you know, Shad Khanim and who are dealing with this every day and they're they're complaining and they're they're burnt out from from dealing with these kinds of issues. I mean, one of my friends has suggested that she wants to put together a workshop where she goes into the high schools and she talks to the girls about, you know, about how people connect and how you know what attraction feels like, how you don't. And she has several daughters herself who are either married or about to be married. And so she's also going through it on a personal level. <laughs> she she has a lot to say. She definitely has a lot to say on the issue, as do I. And I think it's a great idea to um, have these workshops put together and bring people in as guest speakers to speak to high school girls, seminary girls. I mean, when I was in seminary, I just remember so much talk about being a wife and showing bias and do this and do that. But so much of it was like things that will make your husband happy, things that will make your husband feel cared for, calm. Very little of it was about, you know, how to communicate, uh, how to tell your husband what something's bothering you or how to know when something's not right like there there was like no no talk about that because it was just assumed that everybody's just going to end up happy and it's all going to be sunshine and lollipops and it's going to be great and your husband's going to learn and you're going to take care of like every baby after baby after baby and make chocolate chip cookies and it's all going to be great just make the cookies and leave them on the top of the fridge for him to eat when he comes home and it will all be great It doesn't always work out as well as they plan, especially when they go a few years, they realize this is their life and this isn't necessarily what they really want, particularly if they got married on the younger side. And perhaps now they're developing ambitions to do more in life than just bake cookies, as you described it, ambitions which they hadn't thought about before, but now are acute and they might feel unfulfilled. Yeah. And what I'm seeing, you know, coming coming to me is like a lot of these young couples who will tell me, well, well, we were told that it's okay that we're not really connecting, you know, dur- during the dating process, that will come. It will come after the vort. It will come after the wedding or girls that will say, well, I wasn't really so attracted to him when I was dating him. But when I told my, my Rebbiton or I told my, told my Rob or my parents, they said, don't, don't worry. That grows after, after you get engaged, that will grow or that will grow after you get married. You'll, you'll grow to be attracted to him. And then they're not feeling it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, so now we're like two babies down the line and you're not attracted to your husband and you're not communicating. So now you're in my office and we have a whole other situation on our hands. Like a friend of mine has said that a broken engagement is not a tragedy because it means they realized before it would have been a tragic situation that this is not going the right way. People have to keep that in mind. Yeah, usually. Tell me if I'm reading this correctly. It sounds like and I don't want to read too much into this, that the emphasis on every detail of the resume might in fact actually not only emphasize things that don't really matter or the wrong things, but also detract from what actually matters even more along with the basic ideas that you have the same goals in life and you're both uh, religiously compatible, namely the idea of connection and attraction. Because if everything looks good on paper, it's easier to forget about that attraction and connection. Whereas if you don't have as much on paper, you emphasize what should be emphasized on the date, which is that connection and the attraction and the realization of common goals, et cetera. Is that true? Is that, am I reading this correctly? Yeah, listen, listen. Goals are important, like mutual goals, common interests, similar family backgrounds, 
not always, but that helps. Like those things are important, but like, it's not the be all and end all. And it's, it's very interesting because some of the nicest, um, happiest couples that I've met in my life so far will often say to me like, oh, well, like we didn't meet right away because he had a thing on the resume that I didn't like, but then we met through a friend or somebody said, no, 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 you have to meet. And we met and like, I never thought I would marry someone like him, but like, it really worked out. Um, or vice versa. And I see, I just seen so many cases like that where like they met, they weren't supposed to meet or they had said no three times and then they met, they decided to meet anyways or they meet by accident and it's like instant, like uh, clarity, like, oh, I, f- I feel like I've known this girl for like my whole life. What was I waiting for? Just because she had a this a thing and I, I didn't want to marry a doctor, but like, it's okay to marry a doctor. <laughs> but doesn't it also work the other way? Can't it also be that people meet, they have that instant connection, which is a great thing, but... Then they get married and they realize later on they simply have very different goals in life and they're unhappy because that initial attraction was actually a little bit misleading. Absolutely. And and you have to have your deal breakers. Like you have to have your deal breakers where like, you know, you might feel very attracted to somebody when you meet them right away. But like, and this is, I mean, one reason why I think we have a shadow system so that we don't have completely inappropriate matches going on all mm-hmm. the time and people wanting all different things. Um, and you have to have your deal breakers, but like within within reason. You have to use your brain and you know you can say like well i really you know feel connected and i and i love this guy but there's no way i can live with xyz so right, it's, it's not for me it's not for me how would somebody know if he or she is ready to get involved in the shidduch system you talked a moment ago about how we're often pushing people who are too young to get married and they're really not ready yet but some are how does a parent or a child I guess a young man or woman know that it's time to start getting in because some people are, so to speak, never ready in their own minds. And really it's they're They're simply waiting too long because there is also a problem of waiting too long. And unfortunately now it's harder to get married. Yeah. And that's a whole other problem with a whole other explanation, but, (laughs) but in terms of knowing if you're ready, like there are, listen, there are some young people that come back from seminary or yeshiva and they, they, they really feel ready. Like some of them really want to be married for the right reasons. They're ready to start their family. They're ready to start a life with somebody. Um, And if that's the case, there's no reason they should put it off provided that they have good guidance, like a good mentor, that they're doing this for the right reasons, that they understand, you know, the important things to be looking for, the important things to be aware of, that they're consulting with the right person, then I would say like, fine, go, go ahead, go for it. Somebody who's dating out of desperation to get out of their home, probably not the best idea. Somebody who's very impulsive is just like, yeah, like, why not marriage? It looks like fun. Let's do it. Um, not that they shouldn't get married, but maybe somebody should be like consulting with them right. on, yeah. on, like, you know, the choices that they're making. Um, yeah. They might need a Rebbe or a guru in that situation. Yeah. A Rebbitson, a mentor, a teacher. Right. I mean, I'm not a sociologist, but I think it's true that the divorce rate is rising in orthodoxy along with the rest of the world. Yeah. Do you think that yeah. that's directly related to the way Shiduchim are taking place right now? That's only one of the reasons. It, it's a big one. It's a big one. There are many other reasons why divorces are happening in our community now. Um, and some of them are, are the same as why it's happening in the secular world. But is this a contributing factor? Yes, I, I do believe it's a contributing factor. It is. It's kind of the same thing as Shaddachim is like where we where in general, people just have false expectations. So just like they have this false expectation that they're going to find the perfect, 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 perfect person to marry. They also think that their marriage is going to be perfect uh, and no marriage is perfect. All marriages take work. 
What about self-esteem and a person's feeling of empowerment, a positive self-image, healthy body image? It sounds to me from what you're describing and from what I've heard and from what I've read in Rabbi Goldberg's article that a lot of what goes on in the shidduch process, and in particular, perhaps in the leading up to the shidduch process, the weeding out, can be absolutely devastating when someone is being suggested and then you find out, oh, they weren't interested because you can fill in the blank here. Either they know or they make it up themselves and they start imagining what could possibly be wrong. It sounds to me like this could be extraordinarily damaging to a person's self-esteem. Now, obviously, in dating, that's a risk no matter what system you use. Simply going out with somebody and not wanting to go out on a second date is going to make often somebody not feel good. But do you think that there are problems with self-esteem, et cetera, when it comes to the way the shidduch system is currently constituted? Yeah, for sure. And one of the problems that I find with that is that I've just seen this so many times over the years is that there's so much focus on like the idea of like shibachim and get, you got to get married, you got to get married, get married, that like, this is all young girls want to do. Not every young girl, but a lot of times they'll come back and it's just like, this is the goal. Like, this is all young girls want to do. Just like, got to keep your eye on the goal and get married and this, that, the other. And for those who aren't ready right away, or they're not, it's not working out right away. Like, it's just, I don't know, they're not getting read the right guys or it's just like, they're not, you know, so it's like, there's nothing left. So it's like, I'm not finding the right person, but like, what else is there? Hmm. And, and I feel like that, that's like a big problem because if that's what all your self-worth is invested in, like, well, I just got to be a wife and like college. Yeah, I'm doing it. But like, it's for the purpose of supporting my family. Once I'm married, mm-hmm. like I'll take my courses or like my friends. Yeah. I love my friends and everything, but all they want to talk about is, is dating. Um, and I have girls, yeah, these young girls as my clients, sometimes they'll come to me, you know, for, for therapy and they're just really sad. And they're just, they're just really lonely and kind of bored with life because there's literally nothing going on. And even if there's something else going on, that's just like not the focus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that has a lot to do with self-worth that you need to have other things in your life that make you a whole person right. without a partner, because you don't know how long it's going to be until you find a husband or a wife. And, and your, your whole identity cannot be wrapped up in, in that role. Probably so even after the get married as well. And, and after you get married, that's another problem is that, you know, then it's like, okay, now I'm this wife, but my husband's at, you know, he's either at work a whole day or he's, you know, learning a whole day. And like, well, who am I? <laughs> you know, who, who, who am I? What do I value? What do, what, what do I I'm the one who bakes him cookies every day. Exactly. There needs to be more, more to it. And I just find it so sad when I see these young girls that are just feeling like they're, they're at such a young, energetic, it's supposed to be a happy, fun time. And they're feeling lonely. And I'm just like, how tragic, because you, you have the rest of your life to be so busy and burdened and tired by all the responsibilities that life weighs you down with. Like, this is supposed to be the fun time and you're not even having fun. That's not good. So we're talking about a lot of problems and these problems sound, I'm not going to say insurmountable, and I hope they're not insurmountable, but very, very serious Diagnosing the situation is one thing. Offering solutions is another. So I want to know, Anna, what you think the solution should be. You mentioned education. And I am curious when you think education should start, if it should be something which happens in seminary, if it should happen in high schools or even earlier. I don't know. That's one question. But in general, if you were in charge of the world's shidduch system and you were tasked with creating some sort of new system, what would you suggest be done instead of the way it's being done right now? Okay, so good question. I think it should start like not not necessarily shidduch education, but I do think like maybe a little bit of like understanding the human 
brain and and attachment theory and the science of connection the science of attraction like I think that can start as early as grade 11 12 and then just sort of understanding like the psychology of relationships there's nothing inappropriate about that right (laughs) I'm sure we'd all be surprised at how many people take offense at something like that as well unfortunately but like even neuropsych neuropsych like what happens to the brain when oxytocin is released what happens, what happens to the brain and the body when there's too much cortisol? Like, what's wrong with that, right? Like, I think that can... But would um, that help? But would something like that even help to be educated about something so technical? Yeah. Yeah, because oxytocin is something that you, like, that you get from... It's called the cuddle hormone. So you can get it from... But it's not just the cuddle hormone. But you, you can get it from cuddling with your spouse. Or, or you can get it from, like, being out with a bunch of friends and laughing and having fun. You can also have it from, like... A lot of times, because I work with new mothers, a lot of uh, new mothers get oxytocin overload after they give birth because they have a baby on them, like either nursing or sleeping on their shoulder literally a whole day. And then they don't want their husbands going near them and touching them because they've had this baby on mm-hmm. them all the time, like, like they're oxytocin out. But I think it's important to understand the nature of like, of like this chemical reaction that, that human beings have and that like, if you're with somebody that you feel comfortable with and you're at ease with and is making you laugh or you're making him laugh, then you're going to get oxytocin from that. You're going to going to have a release of this hormone and you're going to feel more comfortable. You're going to feel a certain amount of warmth and comfort. That's important to have with the person that you marry. I see. Okay, so that's education. What about other solutions? Obviously, it sounds like you're very against the concept of resumes, but what, what would you do differently I'm in not general? Against, I'm not you're not against, against resumes. resumes. Okay. I'm against them to, I'm against them to a certain extent. Like, I think it's important to know, obviously you have to know who this person is that you're about to go out with, but like every last little detail about every relative in their family, every health issue that they may have had, or a lot of times they go back into the schooling and, and they find out, oh, this kid that when she was a kid she had ot because she couldn't hold her pencil properly or they had speech therapy at certain point does that mean my kid is going to have speech therapy like who cares lots of kids can't say the letter r i'd rather they have speech therapy and learn about r (laughs) than then i've i've literally met from adults who never got speech therapy and they still can't say r (laughs) i'm like get some speech therapy that's so embarrassing but and yet that's a disqualifying that's a disqualifying line on the resume yeah yeah so little things like that even if it's on the resume fine like just go with it you know check in the rep check into the references and and also like learn to ask other kinds of questions this is what um rabbi goldberg talks about is like when you're calling the references you can ask about everything you've read on the resume but ask about things that are not on the resume like does this guy do any tested in his spare time? How does he deal with a conflicting situation? What kind of relationship does he have with his parents? Does he, you know, does he have close friends? Does he have a mentor that he's really close with? Like, how is he in a crowd? Is he like the life of the party? Is he more shy and reserved? Like, those are more, and there's no wrong or right answer, but it's like. Right, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just to see if it's compatible. Yeah, those are qualities that are important to know rather than like, well, does he take Advil when he has a headache? I don't know. Is it really important to know qualities like, is he the life of the party or how is he in a crowd? Why does that even matter? Because when you go out on a date, you'll figure those things out soon enough. Why isn't it enough to say, look, you know, basically you seem compatible. We know you come from similar religious backgrounds. Go out and see what happens. Is it necessary to know more than that? I mean, I don't see a problem with that either. (laughs) (laughs) What other changes would you make to the current system? What other changes would I make? Definitely the education 
the change of approach to resumes. I, I also think that there needs to be a certain amount of education for the parents. Oh, that's interesting. In what sense? Yeah. Well, a lot of times parents get way too involved in in um, choosing their their kids' potential spouses, and because it's an it's a nature, it's it's our nature as parents. I'm a mother. You're you're a father. You know, like we all. It's it's an it's our nature as parents to want to protect our kids and give them the best possible life that we can and provide them with every every good thing that life has to offer like that can sometimes work against you if you're like overly critical of you know who your kid you know wants, wants to go out with and there's just so many mothers getting involved with saying like oh no like I saw the girl's mother and the girl's mother is heavy and that means the girl might be heavy and my son needs a very thin girl because that's who what he's going to want and this that the other and you know, just in our family, we get certain kinds of educations or, or we're Haimish. So we only want Haimish. We don't want somebody yeshivish or we don't want a Sephardi. Like who cares? If, if, if the guy's father is Sephardi, like how much impact is that going to make in your, like maybe it's something you can't live with, but maybe it's something really you can live with. Like give it a chance. Well, should you know? parents be involved at all? Should parents be involved in this? Yeah, assuming that we're not talking about a, lo- a little kid. Parents should definitely be involved, especially when their kid is is young and like doesn't really know what they're doing. But then the parents need need to also have a certain amount of education um, regarding what is going to be healthy and positive and like secure a good, happy future for their son or daughter. I want to ask you a question, Anna, and you don't have to answer this if you're not interested, but (laughs) I think you have a story about your own meeting of your husband, which I think would be relevant. Maybe we'll conclude with that. Can you tell us your story? Yeah, sure. So this is not going to be everyone's experience. I understand that, but it might give people a little bit of motivation to look at things a little bit differently. But so my husband and I met, we were not 21. We grew up literally a couple blocks from each other. My sister was in in school with his sister. They were in the same class in high school. We had many, many mutual friends. And for whatever reason, we just never met when we were when we were young um that we just were not you know our past didn't cross um and if somebody would have like suggested that i go out with him when i was 20 or 21 or 19 um i would not have been interested um just based on on like you know where where he was at in in his life and, and we're we we're both Balichuva, but we both became Balichuva really young the from kite would not have really been much of an issue but i thought i wanted you know, something else. And um, so I was previously married, uh, and it was not a good situation at all. Um, I won't go into detail, but it was, it was a pretty traumatic experience. And that ended. And about a year later, I was back for I was living in New York, and I came back for a visit. And my mother's cousin and a family friend thought of our shidduch, like on the same day, <laughs> had this like, <laughs> light bulb moment and called on the same day and were like, you have to go out with, with this guy. And, and they both called on the same day. And that was the first time anyone yeah. had suggested him to you. Yeah. After wow. all these okay. years of li- like living in the same neighborhood, same community, sisters knew each other. Um, yeah. My cousin and friends both called on the same day. Like, yeah, you have to, you have to go out with this guy, Mark Sherman. Do you know? Him? I was like, no, nope, I don't know him. And they weren't talking um, to each other. No, my cousin and my friend Susan don't know each other. They met at our <laughs> wedding. <laughs> or that are more maybe, but they don't, they actually don't know each other. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> no, they just, they just thought of it. And then they called and then they called my husband and, and Susan said to him, you know, I really think, uh, so there's this girl that, you know, she, 
she's from here. She's from Toronto, but she's living in New York. She's divorced, um, no kids. And I really think it would be a good idea if you just met her this, this week while she's in town and take her on a few dates and just marry her. I, I really think this is the right thing for you. <laughs> and my husband, be, being, the, being the kind of guy that he is, and he is very trusting of the people that care about him, he just said, um, okay, he did not ask for a picture. He had no idea what I looked like. All he asked was, can you tell me a little bit about her? And she said, so she's got amazing mitos. She's really sweet. She's funny. And she's super cute. She's 28, but she looks like she's about 19. So you might be a little fooled, which was true. I, I've always looked, I've always looked young. Um, fine. So came the day and I opened the door and my husband did like a, like a double take. Like he, he looked very confused and he was like, looked at me like this and I was like hi is everything okay and he's like oh are, are you Anna I was like well of course I am like I'm I'm wearing my heels and I'm ready for a date he's like oh okay great let's go anyways later on in the in the courtship and a whole bunch of other things happened where we, we both ended up in Israel that summer at the same time he was learning in Birkas in the old city I I had a job offer for um a job in the old city mm-hmm. at the same oh. time it all worked out. We all, we ended up in the old city for the whole summer, and it was very bashir. But later on in the courtship, I was like, "What was that about? Like you you like you gave a double take, and you looked so shocked." And he's like, "Well, I never asked to see the girl's picture because I feel like that's just something I can, I don't I don't need. Like I can just see it on the first date. So who needs to show me a picture? I can see for myself when I meet her." But when Susan told me that. When I asked about you, she said you had really good Mino. So I assumed you just weren't very attractive because she didn't say anything about how you looked. But when I opened the door, you were so hot. <laughs> and I thought maybe you were, I was in the wrong place. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. I was like, so it was, so it was a surprise. He was like, it was a very good surprise, but I'm not, I'm not complaining. And thank God it worked out. It worked out 11 years later. Here we are. <laughs> Well, Mazal Tov then on your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, well, Anna Sherman, thank you very much for joining me today. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. And there's a lot of work to be done, but people like you are definitely bringing awareness to this important issue. And hopefully we can change the system in some way, in our own small way, to make it a little bit more reasonable, providing more education, helping people get married, looking for the right things like connection and attraction, and avoiding the craziness that it somehow turned into. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today. Please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum podcast and share and tell your friends about it. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us get the word out. Join the new Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook, where, in the two weeks since the group started, we've had some fascinating and hopefully productive discussions about how to make Orthodox Judaism live up to its own high standards and impressive ideals. Visit jewishcoffeehouse.com to find some of the very best podcasts in the Jewish world, including Chochmat Nashim, Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. Please also consider becoming part of our team as a Patreon subscriber. Patreon subscribers get great bonus podcasts, excellent merch, and more, while helping Jewish Coffee House to reach a growing audience. Finally, if you're interested in having your own podcast, Jewish Coffee House can help you make it happen. 
We will assist you with anything you need. We can teach you the skills to make a podcast that sounds as good as an FM radio show. We can help you with recording, editing, music, graphic art, promotion, and more. We can give you tips on podcast styles, interviewing, hosts, guests, and everything else to make your podcast the best it can be. Whatever you need, Jewish Coffee House will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com and let me help you reach hundreds or even thousands of people with a high-quality podcast. That's scott, S-C-O-T-T, at jewishcoffeehouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.